Live from the halls of Mandos, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Hi there, everyone. Um, we're um, in kind of a... I don't know if we're really supposed to be here, Nick. I, I, I think of the many places we've been, this is one of those we really... We should not have tickets into. <laughs> not yet. We had tickets? Well, I th- I thought, it's a metaphor. <laughs> I thought the podcast just kind of willed us into place. The podcast kind has, of appeared. The there. podcast has slightly more t- power than the, the mouse tool does. So. <laughs> Apparently, I think I just talked about my interest in the mouse tool and other podcasts. I, I, I think you did mention <laughs> that in a previous one. But yeah, no, this place is—it's um, it, quite nice. It's not it, well; it's beautifully decorated, but it's a little creepy. It's a little solemn. Very, very solemn. Very um, there. There's kind of this overfeeling of doom. Yeah, we're 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 out of our league in many ways. I don't think many humans end up here. I wonder if this has something to do with our technical difficulties before we start. I think it, it may be. It could be someone had a hand in that. I don't know. So, anyways, um, well, I, we better, maybe we would just better get on. With we'll get, yeah, we'll get on with it. <laughs> so, all right. So, we'll start with Story School. All right, so it's uh, nice and warm outside. It's the height of summer, and we thought it would be convenient to talk about death today. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, <laughs> because we always go with the seasons like that. So, <laughs> all right, this no, we, is your idea, so I'm gonna let you set okay. it up. Well, it's a kind of a big subject. This death thing, well, sort of. But anyways, I was two things happened, and I thought, well, we need a topic. Let's go with that. One was that Entertainment Weekly was talking about. Why do all our favorite characters get killed off? I think they were largely talking about Game of Thrones, but which we don't really know. Anything we don't know about. anything about. But I knew no people die all the time. Yes, apparently. and if you like a person, he dies. And the internet goes up in like weeping and gnashing of teeth yeah. anytime it happens. And yet they still seem to really, really love the show. Yeah, for so some I don't reason. know. Well, we're outside of that loop as well. And also, then I started watching this anime called Sword Art Online, which, among other things, is one of those people are stuck bodily in a MMO RPG. In a uh, virtual reality, in virtual world. reality world, yeah. Nick got me hooked on the show. Yeah, as well. he's actually ahead of me now. But basically, they're always wondering: even when you die in the game, you die in real life. You know, sort of deal. Because apparently, that has to happen in all virtual reality stories. Yeah, exactly. Or else it's not real. Enough. But but you know, they have some nice episodes talking about you know this kind of fear of dying, and they you do know. use it to to a good effect. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, I thought, well, death is a subject we have. We tackled suffering mm-hmm. and bad guys, but we never really talked about. First off, how death is used dramatically, you know, from an audience point of view, and then also as a writer, you know, why do you just, hey, I'm going to go kill X? Hmm. So I thought we we kind of dance around that subject. I thought we start with the traditional sort of, you know, the Obi Wan sort of deal, hmm. where you have your your mentor, your person you look up to, and then he dies, and that's important. That I I feel like at least traditionally, death in a story really mattered it wasn't just like to create dramatic effect it was a major turning point in fill in the blanks life well but yeah particularly when it's a film that really follows the hero hero's journey Um, i mean i think obi-wan probably well star wars in general follows the hero's journey joseph campbell to a t in a lot of ways 
helped define the book. And well, not it didn't define the book, but it was so heavily influenced by, it and everyone was so heavily influenced by Star Wars that they kind of go hand in hand now. Yeah. And you, nowadays, it played like, oh no, this guy, you know, this guy's going to die because he's in charge and he's only here for five minutes, et cetera, et cetera. He's know? the mentor. It's, it's, it's like it's his job, well, too. Or it's uh, um, uh, Peter Parker's uncle, you know? Yeah, Uncle Ben. He has to die. Yeah. You know, it, otherwise he's not Spider-Man, apparently. Yeah. It's, in, in comics, the only people who stay dead are Uncle Ben and Bruce Wayne's parents. Yeah. That's another, you know, because many times, I guess, death is used at a start of a story to initiate the story. Mm-hmm. Because that's normally something unusual has to happen so that the story starts. And death is a very, you know, it shakes up both comic book level sort of people. And then also, you know, just your normal, you know, more literary stories. Sure. That death is a is a reason for all the circumstances of your main character's change. And in that case, it's, it's really not, I mean, not that it's not about the emotion, because it affects the main character deeply. But for the author, it's, I mean, for the reader, you don't have a great attachment to these people, generally. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... So you, you, it helps you become a little more invested in the person, because they've lost someone yeah. very close to them, too. And it's not, I don't know how many people, well, it's been so long, I don't know, but, you know, how many of you are, like, were deeply affected when Uncle Ben died? Or even Obi-Wan, you know, mm. maybe more so. He'd been around for half the movie. Yeah. But being cryptic and stuff. I guess there is something to that in the, um, I mean, because it is true in re- to real life in a sense. Um, like in um, Jim Henson's biography, uh, they mention how he, he had a brother. I don't remember if he was older or younger. But in, in any case, uh, he died while Jim was in his early 20s, unexpectedly in an accident. And they say it had a profound effect on him just in terms of him realizing that, you know, he has a limited time on Earth and he wanted to get as much done in as possible. Um, And as much done in as possible. They're not quite. (laughs) We're all off the time. We're all done in. What? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? The the idea of, you know, you only live once. And you can see how that affected, you know. <laughs> you can see how that affected Jim throughout the rest of his life yeah. in just terms of always wanting to be active. But as I, as I think about this now, so, you know, in many ways that you can use as a, you know, mystery sometimes start with some guy died and, and that launches the that story. launches the story. And so it's a, not that it does have emotional ramifications, but it's a plot point. I mean, sure. largely mm-hmm. for well, the, re, the viewer reader doesn't care necessarily about the person who died. They care about the effects the person's death has on who's are actually our favorite character or main character or protagonist or mm-hmm. whoever. So I think that's one version. I guess I've never actually phrased it that well. I never thought about starting a story like that. Say, ha, and so-and-so died, and what happened then? Because you normally think about death at the end of something. Or during a battle. To, or during battle. Well, yeah. and then, then you have the deaths that are more, uh, almost as much, I mean, almost as much for the viewer. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're highly attached to this person, and it brings all the feels, as people say, um, <laughs> when this person dies. And, and to pull that off well, mm-hmm. you have to actually like the person. Yes. Because if you yeah. don't like the person, you know, you're like, yippee! <laughs> <laughs> or at least like, oh, okay, who was that guy? You know, <laughs> oh no, Panaka's dead, who cares? Um, well, I, I remember Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I, I remember <laughs> Lost did, did that in a particularly entertaining way. Like <laughs> beginning of the beginning of the last season, I remember there was some character who like had maybe appeared once or twice earlier, but then like he started becoming really annoying and belligerent with the characters. And I remember distinctly thinking, "Man, this guy is really annoying. I hope he dies soon." And then a flaming arrow appeared in his <laughs> chest. 
And it was very gratifying, so I, I wanted to thank the writers for that. I will have to warn everyone listening that this will be a Lost-centric episode. <laughs> Possibly. Well, not Lost-centric, but Lost used... And I think... May I just bring this here since you've opened up the Lost bag. <laughs> that Lost used death in various ways. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Lost will use death in such a way as like, this character no longer has anything to do. Let's, Let's kill, kill him. him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is is a, is a author, writer's choice saying, look... He's not, he, we're not doing any service to him keeping him alive. At least let's make his death mean something, mm-hmm. you know, or actor wants to leave. You know, that happens too. Right. You know, echo. Let's kill him and make him death mean something big, good lady. Um, and then de- <laughs> uh, it also, also has that second type of death, which I'm not. Charlie would be the, the type of the, we're not, we're not doing yeah, anything yeah. else with the character. And, and to be honest, Charlie's uh, whole arc of will he die or won't he did become much more interesting than. What he had been doing in the show for a while. Well, and Charlie was probably the the, the single death that people cared most about. Yeah, because people liked Charlie. They just it, there wasn't something in, inherently important on the island for him to do. Well, then he and then he could do something by doing the pennies boat. I mean, so yeah. th- mm-hmm. so that was probably that was probably the death that had the most lead up and fulfillment, and you know, people being angry at the TV and yeah. can't watch it again and. <laughs> That right. sort of thing. Right. So that played, and that one actually played at several levels because his death then really affected Hurley for the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so he, he had the change, he had the the emotional r- impact for the audience and all that stuff. So that was probably the most complex one, you know. There's a lot of people that just die randomly and lost, or, you know, yeah. Lana, oh, I dropped my dynamite and bye-bye, Jacob's helper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And... It, it brings me then to kind of the, I, I don't know what type we're on, three or four, fourth type of death. That's more common now, especially in movies. And I don't know as much about books, but I don't read a lot of modern books, which is the anyone can die in order to make things feel like things are dangerous. The We call this the Joss Whedon effect. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm not completely convinced. I mean, I get the, the rationale behind, look, no one's safe. I can kill anyone off at any time. But I'm not sure... It's not very satisfying no. from a narrative perspective. No, and I'm not even rarely. sure. It's, I'm not even sure it's all that nice from a writing creative perspective. I mean, I guess you know he's going to die, so you just kill him off because, and you, it's it gets close to that. You know what I tend? I use Battlestar Galactica as my as my whipping board, but I, <laughs> punching I, I, bag, bag punching bag. But I, I, I do enjoy the show, but it gets close to that mentality of all that matters is drama, no matter how I get it. Mm-hmm. And and Lost would flirt with that as well. That and I I think you can play it right. It just feels like more and more stuff is going towards that. We're just going to kill people so that it feels dangerous. It's almost like it's the character equivalent of shaky cam. You know, we will move <laughs> Ooh, the camera. Them fighting words. <laughs> we will move the camera in order so that you feel like a lot of stuff is happening. And I and I'm not sure that's a completely fair analogy, but I think it could be how things work out. Well, I think that probably reflects itself well in um, in the movie Serenity. Now, I, I don't know a whole lot of Joss Whedon, Whedonverse, the shows like Buffy and Angel and all that stuff. But, you know, the movie Serenity, the spinoff of Firefly, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to give some massive spoilers here. But there's two character deaths in there. Two characters had been from the show. Mm-hmm. And one, I think most people would recognize, OK, I, I see why you did that. You know, he, he died defending an orphanage. It was an honorable death. It was to convey a dangerous sense of, a, of the situation. It was an understandable character death. 
Then you had Wash, who just kind of dies randomly after they had safe. You thought they had safely yeah. crashed land on a planet. And I've heard some people say give the you know the whole reason of uh, you know well then that shows you, you 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 it gets you very tense for the rest of the movie. Well, you know what? You're only going to watch the movie for the first time once. <laughs> Is it really worth killing the carrier just for the tension of that bit, or would it have been more satisfying to have brought in the tension in another way? Uh, I mean, that's there's some personal taste there, but I think there's an argument for of why people felt dissatisfied with his death as opposed to Shepard's death. And, it, and I think how you treat death maybe inherently teaches you some or reflects as a creator, reflects your own view of what story is. What I mean is, if you're the sort of person who wanted to show that life is just nasty and things can happen at any time, and then I guess you just kill people off randomly. That's not tend to be how I want to use story. Like we've mentioned here before, story many times for us is more showing how things could be or should be or have some sort of. Mm-hmm. It's not strictly reflecting reality. Right. Right. Um, and I think sometimes my guess would be more uh, older stuff has less death randomly and more when someone dies, it means something both for the situation, like it was honorable or noble or to sacrifice for some good. And also for how it affects people. And you get more meaningless death, probably the more modern you get. I could be completely wrong on that. Or maybe the more literary you get. Maybe that's the way to break it. Well, let me play devil's advocate a little bit Yes, go for it. So let's talk about, say, the, the red shirts. Red, yes. red shirts are basically, you know, the they term comes go. from Star no, Trek. Yeah. They're there in the background. They just... They just die for the sake of the plot. And that's kind of necessary sometimes yeah. to see the background characters get killed off. Arguably, they have their own stories that you don't know about, just like the protagonists have theirs. What's the difference? The protagonists can be killed off at any time. You know, is, is that a, an unfair treatment just because they get to be the main heroes? Well, I mean, that's true. That is a choice that you decide, you know, are we going to create attention by saying people die? But we know that Kirk isn't dying. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I guess then the reason you kill off main characters is that you feel like you take away that safe zone that we, mm-hmm. we as watchers or readers, automatically read in because, right? Well, like stormtroopers, stormtroopers drop like nothing. Right. You don't even think about it. Like, hey, I blew up a Death Star and killed like ten billion people. You know, yay, I'm a hero. <laughs> um, exactly. But I think I again, it probably depends on the sort of story, right? I'm not saying. I think there's probably a place for the stormtroopers where, look, we want good and evil. We don't want this ambiguous, like, oh, no, Luke is a, you know, the equivalent of an atomic bomb, mm-hmm. you know, and was it right to blow up the Death Star sort of stuff. No, you don't, you don't want to get don't want into that. all that. That's why the stormtroopers are all faceless, exactly. basically. Now, I do think there probably is a way, you know, because to bring lost in, I was intrigued that originally they wanted to kill off Jack in the first episode mm-hmm. to create that sense of... Of unexpectedness. Unexpectedness. And I... Very J.J. Abrams one, but (laughs) I guess I'm not against part that appeals to me in the sense that I do like this idea that it's nice to have a show where you don't pull punches, where Mm -hmm. you feel like, look, there is actual consequences to actual actions. But I think there's, for me personally, I think there's a, at some point in the gamut in the, in the continuum is a place where it becomes just, we just kill people so that randomly right. I, I mean all people are ran- i mean yeah that characters lives mean not nothing but the the dictates of drama will determine whether any one person lives or dies 
Mm. And I, I and like I see where they're going with that, and I you know I like it in many in many instances, but I'm not sure I like it always. Yeah, and and I think <laughs> we've said this many a time, but I think it does depend on the s- sort of story that you set up. Going back to Sword Art Online, which you brought up, yeah. you know, one thing that struck me in that in Sword Art Online, you have all these people who are gamers that are suddenly stuck in this life or death situation, which they had not expected to be yeah. before. So when one of them dies in the scenario, you kind of feel a little bit more than, say, just your average like trooper or soldier or something. Yeah, because you feel like, yeah, because you feel like. They, they weren't go. They weren't signed up for that. Yeah, they weren't signed up for that. Th- that that was a person just like you or me. They're just yeah. a normal civilian. And I guess the Hunger Games kind of taps into this a little bit too, because every time a tribute that is, it, it, it feels a little bit more than just the red shirt dying. because yeah. it's it's not some random person. It's like that was that's a victim. Yeah, and because red shirts they signed up for this quest. You right. know, when you have you know, okay, all my soldiers are dying with me in some battle in you know mm-hmm. Middle Earth or Narnia or something like. Yeah, I feel bad, but you're a soldier. Right. And so I, I think the uh, the story sets up different circumstances for how much a uh, background character or how much even a protagonist's death or, or life has value in a sense. Now, here's a question. I haven't thought through this. Do you think it kind of gut reaction sometimes that when a story has a character that's not doing anything to, to kill them? I mean, as opposed to give them some other ending? I mean, do we feel like a story's only ended now when the person dies as opposed to like he goes off and, you know, gets married or he goes and gets a job or he goes and, and you know, lives exiled on some sort of island or... I think... Or is it just because most of the shows that do this are, are such intense shows, you can't get away with that sort of ending? Again, for me, it comes down to the, the, the whole dilemma with continuing stories in a sense. Say the TV show Arrow. I mean, Arrow has some very intense situations and stuff. And you know that he'll have some resting points, but you know that he'll never be completely rested until the show ends or he Mm. gets killed or something like that. And then comic books have the same problem when, like, the character's life gets too good. And apparently, like, the only solution is to mess it up completely. Like, yeah. I mean, that's a whole problem with continuing stories. Yeah. But I do think... I think that's the idea that anytime a character like any time a character has outlived its usefulness or outlived its certain purpose that it's time to get rid of it, I think is a false notion. I understand why shows like Lost do it when you're juggling a lot of characters anyway and you're trying to keep your stories kind of, you know, more contained. But I think it's sort of a cheap way instead of finding a new angle for the character to to deal with or to explore or, or stuff like that. I'm not convinced that that's always a good move. Another question. Do you think always, sometimes, most times, depends? You actually like a character or their actions or the book or whatever more because you feel like the main character might die? Like, not knowing Arrow's going to... Knowing that Arrow's going to live, does that somehow take away some drama from it? Not for me. I don't know. Maybe it does for... I mean, someone else. I, I guess a show like Arrow is different though, because you know it's about the one character. Sh- ensemble show, I guess, is about ensemble show is trickier. Like yeah. you never know. I mean, like say on Agents of Shield, you're pretty sure Coulson is safe because yeah. you know the whole show is based on him. But some of the other characters, you could kill him. Yeah, yeah it, I could see it happening, and you know that would make it, it make it a little more intense. And like you don't know with this whole all the crazy shenanigans that they that happened in this toward the end of this season yeah. with one of them going 
and turned out to be bad the whole time. Suddenly you realize, man, I don't know. You never know. Any of them could die, it seems like. I was thinking, say, 24. Jack Bowers and all this horrible stuff. But you're not disappointed because, oh, wait, I know he's not. He's going to get tortured and not die. I mean, though, I guess episode first season, they were going to kill him. Oh, really? Yeah, they were going to try to get a new person for season 24 or something like that. Oh, that'd be messed up. Well, they decide, you know, after five episodes or whatever, they like the character so well, they're like, we can't kill this guy. <laughs> I know... The first season is the only one I watched much of. I didn't even finish that one, but like I watched like some of the middle and then went and watched the last episode. I remember feeling kind of disappointed that his wife died at the end of it. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. It's been a while since I've seen that. And yeah, sometimes, though, they, they do mess. Cause he like, doesn't he, die, he, but then horrible other things do- happen to him. You're just like, Because he had oh. spent the entire season trying to protect yeah. her and his daughter, and then she's dead. And I'm like, well, oh, what, it was the end of season three or four. That's about as far as it got. Where he had like cut off his partner's hand with an axe or something like that. What? It was just you just felt horrible at the end. You're just like, okay, so they saved film whoever they were saving, like city, country, nation, whatever. But you're just like, ugh, I just feel horrible. That's why I can't. I couldn't keep going with the show. It just it was just kind of brutal sometimes. Mm -hmm. But so because I was thinking Wheel of Time. um, Some people complain that like no one ever actually dies in that show. Even when they die, they like get resurrected. In some like the bad guys like come back and that like, he never hardly kills anyone for good. And to me, I, I didn't care, you know. <laughs> no, I don't feel bad that okay, I know that all my main cast characters are gonna live well, they didn't all live through because when by the time you get the last battle, you think okay, some things are up for grabs. I guess it depends if your tension if your show based around tension mm-hmm. around what's gonna happen next, that's one thing, but if your show based around character. I don't know. I, I think that might have something to do with it. But you really want to make sure that the using death, ma- well, for me, has some sort of purpose. I guess the purpose can even just be to unsettle the audience. Mm-hmm. On that note, let's let's shift just yeah, slightly and then we'll wrap this up. Um, we've talked about a lot about death as its effect on the audience. And we've talked a little bit about death like as it's affected like if a character's friend yeah. uh, gets killed. What about characters wrestling with the concept of of death oh, yeah. themselves? Like I might die in this yeah. situation. That's that's also a very interesting it thing is, for a for a story to and, tackle. Yeah, and that's what we what I brought up in sort why I half came this, up with this topic for Sword Art Online. It just it's not a main thing, but it kind of runs underneath the whole first number of episodes. This sort of sense of okay, we're here and we have cool abilities, but we weren't meant. For, most of them were not meant for this sort of life. Yeah, and most of them are like, "Why am I? You know, what am I? I'm going, I'm going to die." There's episode three called Rudolph the Red Nosed Ranger for <laughs> odd reasons, but actually, it, it makes sense when you watch it. But you know, this girl's like, "Look, I was just part of this like computer geek club, and we all joined up, and I'm not set for this. I know I'm going to die at some point. How do you deal with that? A story like this could get very heavy, mm-hmm. but also just having that kind of under even Hunger Games, you know, plays with that idea. You know, there's yeah. just this idea of how do I fight for my life in a situation where I don't know if I'm going to make it? You know, a lot of movies or TV shows have that scene when they're trapped under the rock and they're like, oh, no, I'm going to die. And Yeah. Um, and those those sort of scenes are always really gutsy in a sense because probably nowhere else in the story is the author's or at the very least the character's worldview that clearly mm-hmm. laid out. And whenever you lay out, spell out a worldview, you know you're going to have people in your audience who will disagree with it. Because a lot of different worldviews have different understandings yeah. of the afterlife. 
And uh, you have to be able to do it in such a way that even if an audience viewer or reader doesn't agree with your pr- presentation, they, they empathize with the character. Somehow. Yeah, they empathize. They understand. They... Well, I don't know if it'll work, but, you know, this is one of the themes that comes in the Strand Fred book I'm writing right now because everyone's sick and they're going to die. And they got this curse basically on them. And Timothy's character, not this Timothy, but the character in my book, you know, he's by far the sickest and he's the closest to dying and he's wrestling with this and then other people and people react in different ways. You know, some people just like, yeah, hey, oh, let's eat, drink and be merry and, you know, enjoy ourselves because we got, you know, who knows how much time YOLO and other people are like not, you know, more despairing. And so it's a topic worth worth using in drama, partly is very dramatic and also because it's something everyone thinks about at some point. Everyone has to deal with. Yeah. I'm going to just mention it briefly because uh, someone like uh, Brian Churchill will appreciate it. But <laughs> Ingmar Bergman's masterpiece, widely considered masterpiece, The Seventh Seal, is a, it's a movie that's all about this sort of thing. Because um, the one of the main characters, is it's where the whole idea of playing chess with death comes okay. from. Basically, death comes to visit him and this guy keeps distracting him throughout the movie with his game of chess. And he goes along trying to make sure he get he gets something noble accomplished before he dies. And he has this band of people together that they are just kind of they're just kind of on a trek together. And it, I, 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 I only vaguely remember this because I saw it a few <laughs> years ago in film school and I had to look up a uh, summary on Wikipedia to remind me. But the whole thing is very much about this kind of wrestling with we're all headed toward the situation because they're all they are they are all on a trip basically okay and um, you know the and the end they all die but it's all this very symbolic and kind of exploration of what this means and what it means to live and all this kind of stuff so art movies can do this very very oh, well Ikaru. have you seen Karu? I don't think by so. uh what's famous Japanese Kurosawa Kurosawa yeah that's a it's a this is normal government official who gets some sort of cancer, I don't remember what type, and he's like, what do I do with, you know, I'm going to die, what do I do with my life? Mm-hmm. Very, in- Brian Churchill also showed me that one. Yeah. Um, very, very good movie, very interesting movie, and he tries to do something worthwhile finding life. He's just like some government drone who just like, you know, stamp mm. papers and stuff. And he suddenly is like comes out of his his little tiny life. Mm. I guess if, <laughs> if you want a positive takeaway, you can get from all this explorations of death can help you live better yeah. like thinking about how you know short life is in a sense stranger than fiction stranger than <laughs> stranger than fiction i was also thinking too of um grave of the fireflies oh man a sad show yeah no it's a very sad movie about two kids dying of all things but it's one of those you know what is it the um catharsis you know the the greek idea of that you go and suffer through with this thing and come out plans and you're like oh i'm gonna go live my life now yeah exactly i guess and then the reverse of that then i guess is you have characters who are like immortal and can't die and long for it long, yeah sense. that's and then you're like well maybe that's not so bad and it's interesting that uh anime in particular seems to oh most anime i've seen touches on this idea of you know the idea of death pervades a lot of anime it seems like yeah full metal cowboy bebop Mm-hmm. Evangelion. Evangelion, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that there's this real wrestling, and uh, it seems to me in the Japanese soul, what do we do with this? Yeah. And they're, you know, they're, they're, anime wears its emotions on the sleeve much more than a lot of American TV. Yeah. So. Very much. Well, yeah. 
Which is interesting. I don't know that the Japanese are really that more demonstrative than we are. Well, and he's just so expressive. It's, expressive. It's it's an abstract form, so there's that degree of separation yeah. from reality that you can get away with a little bit more raw emotion. Raw, raw emotion, like. yeah. And you, you, you mine for the raw emotion, too. Yeah, right. So, and that's it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes. And then sometimes death just makes you horribly depressed if you watch anything by uh, Arthur Miller. <laughs> yes. Arthur, oh, Arthur Miller. <laughs> But, I'm telling you, you can you learn a lot about worldviews from watching how different people talk about death. Definitely, and so I think it's definitely. <laughs> wow, <laughs> definitely. Okay, so yes, definitely a fertile ground for uh, storytellers <laughs> to dig up. <laughs> I think we should lay that one to rest. So, <laughs> oh, you're killing me. <laughs> All right. All right. Now that we're dead in the water, let's move on. <laughs> what's our next? Uh, what's our next segment here? Next All right. For, time for soundtrack. soundtrack i decided to pick something um which has death in the title but it's actually much more lighthearted than any of this it is from final fantasy 7 remixed in the genova theme which is one of my one of the great boss themes from nobumasu who only writes great boss themes and it is re- uh, remixed by anti-sign and it is called death rebirth life 1984 um, so my contacts are fuzzy. <laughs> okay, 1986. Anyways, it's quite entertaining. It's a uh, very 80s, like hardcore 80s. So enjoy.
Hi, and we're back. Hopefully you enjoyed that blast from the past. And um, we will now go to Project Update. All right, Tim, shall you start since you had a, a breakthrough finally? I did have a breakthrough. <laughs> I finished my first draft of my book. Woohoo! Uh, New Wells Rising. New Wells Rising is the name of it. Um, so hopefully, I'm not sure how soon. Maybe beginning of next month. Maybe. Yeah, I think. I Depends on how fast the revision. Process I think the. Works. I think the revision process. I I read it, and I don't think it take too long to revise it. I think it's pretty strongly put together to begin with. That's good. Um, so we'll finally have a new uh, story for Children of the Wells. It's been a while. I think the That's first draft is due like several months ago. Well, so. but. It got done. It's an, so. it's, yeah, it got done. That's the that's the important thing. I was able to do it on, while I was on vacation, actually, uh, which is quite different. I never been able, never uh, done that much writing away, but it actually turned out to be very nice because I was kind of like out in the mountains alone and had enough time to actually like get started on it early and like earlier in the day as opposed to like later in the day. So I had more brain power, I guess. So that's exciting. Uh, hopefully, people will like it. Any of you who have been following Children of the Wells is about Jason Kaiser, the last of the throne of the royal family of Therian. Uh, and, and it gives us a new kind of uh, forward momentum for Jason. Yes. Which would be nice. A different tone. And uh, yeah, d- different tone, different kind of, uh, kind of a new tone for the whole series. Which is to nice. To an extent, yeah. yeah. And as well as revealing a very big major thing that we've had planned for a long, well, basically since Basically, since you first came up with the idea of the before, world. Before we knew anything about the world, this was what we had planned. <laughs> yeah, and we're now finally getting to it. So it's it, it was very exciting and honoring to get to uh, set all that in motion. So be looking forward to that. Hopefully, we'll, again, like you said, it will be out next month. And we're doing a different publishing uh, mode than we have yeah. in the past, where we used to serialize. Although, were we going to see? We weren't going to serialize this first, this one, were we? I don't think so. Yeah, yours was kind of in the middle area, but yeah. Yeah. We're going to start releasing our ebooks, our finished uh, books, instead of like serializing a chapter a week or whatever. Just all together. All together. All together. They're not all <laughs> together now. Um, but no, they're going to be released all in one nice big chunk. So that any of you who have uh, iPods or Nooks or anything like that, um, you'll be able to download it just right away. And because we figured, we realized with our publishing way of working, it was just going to be easier. So, yeah, Nick, uh, Mando's halls are a bit noisier today than I would have expected. Oh, I know. Mando's halls is, I don't know, enough to wake the dead. Um, (laughs) Must be some, must have been some uh, loose spirits going around. I guess so. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, how's how's Strin and Fred going? Strin and Fred, uh, well, in the last about two weeks, not much has happened, two, three weeks, because the week before my vacation... I did a lot of writing on various other reports and stuff I had to do for church and other things. And then I was on vacation and I actually wrote like a page, but it was, we were camping and zing zoos. And so in the evening, I'm like, I'm going to read my giant Brandon Sanderson book. Zing zoos? Zing zoos. Seeing zoos, sorry. Oh, seeing zoos. Yeah, I can't. Seeing zoos. Seeing zoos. This is like back in speech class, back in fourth grade. (laughs) Zing zoos. Zing zoos. Okay. Um, Yeah, we went to the Louisville Zoo and the Columbus Zoo and the Toledo Zoo and the Cincinnati Zoo. Quite nice. And the kids really enjoyed it. Um, And we camped each night. So your Brandon Sanderson book, this is your like big, huge one? This is my The Way of Kings. Yes. It's like a thousand pages. Oh, okay. So I'm like 350. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. 
Yeah, but it's big. And <laughs> I don't always have the time to go and invest in like, you know, you want to read a good chunk at one time because it's not like short chapters or anything. Right. I'll, well, I'll do an update on that later when I finally finish it. I'm, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure we'll hear more about it. Yeah I'm, not, yeah, I'm not completely sure what I feel about it yet, but I have a feeling it's going to be one of those that at the end kind of hammers you like 10 times. Um, but String Fred, so I hadn't got a lot done. I was going pretty well on it, and then I'm kind of, I was kind of stuck. I'm like, I'm moving to what I, I think I'd said the last third, but maybe this is the last, last third. Um, it's like turning point downhill in theory. I mean, it'll still be a lot of stuff happening, but no more setup really. Cool. But I couldn't figure out how to put certain things in and I, plots I had earlier. I'm like, wait, is that going to work? And so I, on Father's Day, I had a long, nice walk with me and my iPod. And I, I think I worked out chunks of it. I really, long walks with my iPod need to happen more often and not, don't happen long enough, often enough. But I, I, it's, it's still coming. At, and I think it, this week you'll start at a normal pace again. I don't know how, how long this section is going to be. It'll be. This section will probably be, so part one of this book is like 60,000 words. Part two of this book will probably be longer. So we're talking probably like 70, 80,000. I don't know. This is going to be a huge book. It's going to be, I mean, as far as fancy novels go, probably normal. I mean, in some ways, <laughs> I think like like the Shores Wheel of Time books, like two hundred thousand words or something like that, uh-huh. or two fifty or something ridiculous like that. Um, you know, every time I told my mom how far I'd gotten, she'd be like, "I have no idea what that means." Yeah. <laughs> you know, I only talk in words now because it doesn't make sense to talk about in pages because because the page pages vary depending very, yeah. on what it gets printed. So on, people, yeah. you know, people tell me, "Oh, I wrote." 10 pages, I'm like, okay, double space, single space, are you talking like, you know, Ariel, Garamond, yeah. 12 point, 15 point, you know. It's like, you know, when English teachers used to be like, yes, write two pages. You're like, everyone's like, oh, hoo, hoo, courier, <laughs> 14 point. And so they would say, you know. They have to get very specific. Yeah, like, it has to be this Times New Roman, 12 point, double space, <laughs> one inch margin, <laughs> MLA format, but. Right. So that's what's going on with me writing wise lately. Oh, cool! And trying to wish to write something outside of Stern and Fred. I'm like, no, keep writing, keep so, it going, keep that's... it going. Be once you get going again, I I just got that I got out of the rhythm and I could get back in the rhythm. Yeah, so, I'm yeah. I'm I'm pleased that you've been able to stay in the rhythm. What will happen after summer is the question. If... I don't know. I don't know if I'm teaching yet or not. I would like to keep the rhythm going until I finish the whole book, obviously. But after the Fred section. I got to do the string section. Um, so we'll see. This is going to be the longest, easily the longest thing I've ever written. And I don't think, book four should not be as long, but it will still be substantial. And that should be the end, in theory. <laughs> I don't think there's a fifth book in there. No. Original, originally, when I planned it, I probably mentioned this before, I planned in the five season. I watched oh. Battle on Five back in the day. Oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, I love this five act thing. You know, you got your... Exposition, rising action, climax, falling action, resolution. I was going to do a five, five book series, just like Battle Five did his five season mm-hmm. thing, but I, there was enough for a fifth book, so I cut it and squeezed in book four. You're hardcore, man. <laughs> it took me like six months to get uh, twenty-two thousand words written. Well, we'll see if mine are any good, but yeah, <laughs> getting them written is one thing. Having them be good is another. All right, so we have right. one last section here, huh? That's right. What if? What if? All right. So we thought we were trying to figure out, hey, we'd like to do a what if. But we were like, what do we do? And I have some uh, students slash youth group people 
who tend to do this <laughs> this giant like death match thing where you just throw out like like 24 names of random characters from TV shows, books, real life, and then make brackets for them, and then just kind of talk through who would win each bracket and come out with a winner. So we thought we'd, we'd try a, a mini version of this. It's a, a light version of death. The yeah. death match. The death match. Light. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll just pretend that we all have Phoenix Downs to revive that them afterwards. Yeah. So. so I guess the first thing is we'll get a couple of these matches going. Yeah. So... We'll just, we haven't talked to each other about who we'll pull, pick out. Now, are we doing, are these one-on-one fights? Yeah, these are one-on-one fights to begin okay. with. And then, like, okay. winners go on to the next round. Okay. How uh, super-powered not, versus not super-powered do you want to go with this? I say you should pick anyone from anywhere. We'll just go with it. We'll see what happens. Okay. Noah holds barred. <laughs> okay. So are we picking ones, you want me to pick one and you pick one and have them go each other? Yeah. We? Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. All right. Um... I will go with Jakar. Jakar. I was going to go Babylon with five. Howl from Howl's Moving Castle. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very random fight. <laughs> okay, so what would happen here? Well, I... now this is this pre-revelation Jakar or after he becomes like a religious, you know, like I was thinking. I was thinking after because okay. I I kind of like just to give Jakar a bit more of an edge because I think I feel like he would be a wiser. Okay. Uh, a wiser fighter than uh, Hal would be. Well, no, yeah, that's the thing with Hal. Like, he's probably more powerful, but he's kind of sulky. Yes. So if you catch him at the right time, you know, Jakar could just insult him. He'd just be like, well, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Especially yeah. if Sophia and Calcifer aren't there to kind of like... Push him on. Push him yeah. on, yeah. He'd, he'd be like, oh, I'm not pretty enough. <laughs> 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 Where's all my black feathers? Um, <laughs> now, if Jakar started war, he'd be all over that. Yeah, no. But yeah. but why is Jakar? Why I think why is Jakar would have a much better advantage than like war, like before his yeah. Uh, conversion. Yeah, yeah. I think Jakar. I think pre uh, pre conversion, how would go all like, hey, I'm not going to have any of this war going on. Yeah. And kind of, and now I'm talking Hall from the movie, not from the book. Yeah, I've not read the book. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the book. So but that that sounds that sounds about right. So we'll we'll say Jakar edges over him. Yeah. Okay. I think I think that so. Works. He'll he'll we'll save him for for ne- for, for another round. another round. Okay. Okay. So I'll pick first this time. I okay. have to come up with some. Guy. Okay. Um, um. Oh, I have a winner. You have, you have a winner. Okay. Um, better pick someone strong. Oh, okay. Someone strong then. Strong is a relative term, but you know what I mean. <laughs> We'll take wheel. I'm the the royal we here. <laughs> royal we made me think I'm going to take D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan, okay. <laughs> now see, this is <laughs> actually I just realized mine is in sort of a moral quandary because I picked Vash the Stampede. Oh, I don't think he can win this thing. Yeah, you know that I think about it. Yeah, he's not going to want to do a, a death match. He he he's totally against that sort of thing. Well, even if it's just a fight to the like to the near death. <laughs> I think, I mean, D'Artagnan's pretty honorable here. That uh, should just be a love and peace. You know, this might just be a draw. This might be a draw. <laughs> They're like, look, we got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe they, they resign and they, they go have drinks together. Or we'll probably chase some women, honestly. No. You know what? They would probably really enjoy that together. They probably okay. would. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that match was a bust. Well, they just left the, left the fight <laughs> and went to a bar somewhere. <laughs> All all the gamblers are really disgusted at this, but they're like, love and a peace. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and fraternity and brotherhood. <laughs> that's for D'Artagnan there. I don't know if that's the right era of France, but yeah. we'll go All for that. one, one for one. All. That's All, pretty yep. close. Yeah, we'll, we'll go for that. All right, so that was a bust. <laughs> um, okay, I have, I'm going to have the shark from Jaws. <laughs> so Jaws, I guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with um, just first thing I'll pop in my head, Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, all right. I, I think, I think uh, Zoinks. <laughs> I think Scooby's going to become a Scooby snack. <laughs> okay, that's done. Okay. <laughs> It's okay. So we got Jakar and Jaws, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, this is, you know, this is an interesting one. Because Jakar is, is he, I think he's dealt with some, like, powerful forces Alien, of nature yeah. before. And he could probably punch him in the face. You I, th- know? I, I, I think Jakar could take Jaws, honestly. You think so? You know, well, you know, if a grizzled old guy and, like, a scientist and... That other dude could take could take him out. I forget who else is on that boat. I, I think I think Jakar. And Jakar might have okay. a bigger boat. <laughs> That's there's a good chance he'd have a bigger. That's very okay, good. so Jakar's or a grand chance. Okay, we got we got to set another side up. Here. Yeah, we, yeah, okay. we need. Okay, so that's like okay, ice cream bunny. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're, going, uh-huh. if we're going that track, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in Torgo. Tor, oh man, okay. Hmm. Ice cream bunny versus Torgo. Okay, because okay, ice cream bunny has those mutilated hands, <laughs> but he has that fire and- engine. Okay. Fire, oh yeah. I don't think Torgo could get away from that with those Torgo like, can't giant walk. <laughs> I think I think the ice cream bunny had okay. They're both kind of disturbing. Yes. Yeah. But Torgo can't move worth anything. No. <laughs> I don't think he could even swing his staff around very well. And the ice cream bunny even didn't have his fire truck. Could just go. I blot out the sun. You know, <laughs> that's Santa. But anyways. I think I think the ice cream bunny wins this round. No, I I I, I think you're right. <laughs> I think it has to be ice cream bunny. I'm not sure I would ever use that phrase. The ice cream bunny wins this round. <laughs> but okay, I gotta think something way off. I might pick a hmm. I better go first here. Yeah, go I ahead. Gonna, um, I will say I'll say I'm just going to first thing possible on yeah. my mind. I'm gonna say Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer, <laughs> the ice cream bunny. I see how you were going. <laughs> well, actually, I hadn't made that connection. <laughs> But um, I will go um, Uncle Scrooge. Oh. <laughs> um, hmm. That's actually that's actually pretty tough. <laughs> Tom Sawyer can be resourceful. But so can Uncle Scrooge. So can Uncle Scrooge. That's a tough one. And the price is out in the wilderness somewhere. Probably out in the wilderness somewhere. Um, hmm. Here's the thing, though. Uncle Scrooge could just buy off Tom Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. You know, I think I think Uncle Scrooge is probably the wiser. Again, I'm going with the wi- with wisdom here because you know Tom Sawyer's got some some wilds to him, but all Uncle Scrooge really has to tell him is like, "Hey, I, I'll pay you, and we can go on a great adventure together." Yeah. And Tom Sawyer would be totally with him. Yeah, yeah, he's done for. So yeah, I think I think Uncle Scrooge wins this round. Okay, so should we do one more round and put Scrooge against Ice Cream Bunny? Well, we did two for the for the last okay. round. So, um, or. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and go do that, and then we can do another bracket if you want. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. So, okay, so Uncle Scrooge versus Ice Cream Bunny. <laughs> I think it's got. I st- I'm still going with Uncle Scrooge, Scrooge here. Yeah, it's not much of a competition. I don't know no. how the Ice Cream Bunny made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay. in the losers bracket, come on, Ice Cream Bunny would still take out Tom Sawyer. 
I don't know. If if Tommy can, so you can have, <laughs> Tommy, I'm sorry, I, I, I think you can and eat them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think Tom Sawyer could just direct him in the direction. It's like, hey, Santa's over there, and, well, and I screw Benny be kind of distracted. I, I I don't know. I'm we'll see there. Okay, okay. So so uh, we got Uncle Scrooge right now. Yeah, we got mm. we got so Uncle Scrooge and Jacquard are winners so far. Yeah. So we I think we need to have like a, a, a three way a three a three okay. for all. Okay. Let's think at here. The end here. Um, we haven't done a good super. I'm gonna say uh, I'll say Zantana. Do you know Zantana. who Zantana is? Yeah, I know is? Zantana. Not well, but she's a magician yeah. girl from DC. I'll say Miracle Max. Okay, I don't know Miracle from, Max from um, Princess Bride. Okay, uh, you know who I'm talking about? He brings yeah. people back from the dead. Right. At least if they're mostly dead. Mo- right, right. <laughs> um, I, I, so they're all both magical, I guess. Both, both got a magic thing. I think Zantana is the more powerful of the uh, two. I, I think I think Miracle Max can talk a good game. I'm not sure he can do much else besides that. <laughs> no, I mean Zantana's worked alongside Batman a lot of. I think she was actually part of the Justice League at some yeah. point. Miracle Max is kind of. He's important for the for the movie, but in DC oh, Universe, he'd be like the Z-rate <laughs> hero. All right, yeah, I yeah, I won't do much competition for that. I mean, he might throw stick a stick like a billow into her face yeah. and try to take the life out of her. Now, if it but. was if it was Antana versus uh, the six fingered man. Or I was gonna, I was gonna go with uh, my name is Ingle Montoya. Oh yeah, well uh, that that might have been a little closer, but yeah. Santana gets Miracle Max. Nah, nah it's, you're it's, right. it's Santana. All right, so let's see. I need to pick something completely out of everything else I've already done. Um, Yoshi. Yoshi. <laughs> I would put. Yoshi. We really should both think of these first and then talk to you and then say I'm Yoshi like, against Lance Valentino. Oh, <laughs> nice! I'm pulling your own character against Ooh. you. I uh, see. I still think Yoshi because Yoshi can pull off his pull off his helmet, then pull off his sword, poop him out, throw the egg at him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Yoshi's quick and spry, and Lance, you know, would be decent against like some sort of big bear, a boar, possibly a slightly drunk dragon. But he he wouldn't really know what to expect from Yoshi. No, and not, Yoshi, not not the weirdness of Yoshi certainly. Yeah, so I think Yoshi's got I think Yoshi's got Lance Valentino in the bag there. Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll I'll give you that. So All we right. got Santana versus Yoshi. <laughs> yes, that is. I've never spoken those words. Okay, I doubt anyone has. I'm not really sure how to process this one exactly. Um, I really just want Yoshi to win. <laughs> I feel Zantana has has got to have come up against some weird alien like creatures before. But uh, does magic work on Yoshi? I don't see why not. Wait, wait those little uh, magic magic Koopa guys. They yeah, yeah they 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 yeah. would hurt. I mean, yeah. All Yoshi has to do is get touched by some weird thing, and then he like goes yeah. running off in a panic. touch fuzzy, get dizzy. Or yeah, is, yeah. You ever seen? You ever play Yoshi's Island? No, uh, just a little. Oh, bit. okay. Anyways, yeah, I, I think I still think Zantana would win this. Yeah, edge that. Yeah, we'll we'll do Zantana. So so we got Zantana, Jakar, and Uncle Scrooge. Yeah, Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, Scrooge McDuck. Um, how do we even process? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, okay, I'm not well, sure about this one. Uh, 
Well, I mean, Scrooge Duck's pretty good with his cane. <laughs> yes. Not only can he swing it and hit hit people around with it, but he can kind of bounce around. Bounce it. around on it, yeah. And he's got he's got the money factor, so it's possible that he might hire someone to go fight for him. Well, I don't think we'd allow that. I think he has oh, to fight okay. himself. Oh, okay. He has to fight himself. Okay. So yeah, in the final round, you got to fight. Okay. Um. Hmm. So I don't know what Zantan does exactly. What kind of? Well, I don't. I'm not an expert. I don't know her. Like she says, she says her spells backwards. Okay. Like for example, if she wants to like lift the car above her head, she'll be like raise car backwards. So it'd be like rock zar or something wow, like that. Wow, that's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I don't know the full extent. I mean, I know she's powerful, but I couldn't tell you like the full comic well, booky see, scientific. I feel like I feel like Jakar has a presence that might be able to overwhelm her ability to speak backwards. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't. It's hard to say. And the thing is, here's the thing with Jakar. He can take a beating. He can't take a beating. He takes 39 lashes and has his eye gouged out, okay? Yeah. And he can, like, break chains with his bare fists. I mean, if he believes in the fight, he almost will win. Whether he believes in it, I don't know. It depends on the circumstances yeah. of the death match. And the death match, yeah. I mean, if he feels like he needs to stay alive so he can kill Londo later on. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, this, is this pre or post? We never really... It doesn't matter. He wants to kill Londo for good later. Oh, uh, I suppose that's true. <laughs> he wants to kill Londo one way or another. <laughs> okay, okay, so... If you haven't seen Babylon 5, I'm you really sorry. should. <laughs> yeah. I'm about ready to watch it again, I think. I don't know how to do it. So, so I think Scrooge McDuck you know what we would beat some people up. What? This would have been easier if we'd given ourselves some villains in the main fight. That's true. We didn't really go for like hardly any villains. We should have. Except for maybe Lance Valentino. Yeah. Who's kind of like half a villain. Yeah. He's more an antagonist. So who's our loser villain. in this fight? I almost wouldn't Scrooge McDuck just beat up Santana. But... <laughs> uh, see, hmm. I don't know her very See, well, though. Well, the trick is Scrooge always has to, like, outsmart his opponents to win most of the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, because, like, he does go up against, what's that, uh, uh, Magicka Deduck, or Dispel. Magicka Dispel oh, is, yeah. the, like, the the witch duck that he always has to fight. So, and he basically, and she's pretty powerful, so he basically always has to outwit her some So, could she, he use the same sort of thing against Santana, who's basically the same sort of magic deal? Uh, possibly, I could see. Yeah, I could. I could see Scrooge McDuck may, maybe beating Santana, but not Jakar. I think. I think Jakar's got to win. I, I, unless unless Santana manages to take out Jakar beforehand, which I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to see happening. Yeah. I think. I think we we got to crown Jakar yeah. the winner. Yeah, Jakar is the winner. Yeah, and again, if you haven't seen Babylon Five, you're probably like, "What? I never even heard of this guy. How how can he beat these people?" But he's pretty awesome. He's the one armed man. Come on. Yeah. In the, in, in the, the in fugitive, the, fugitive. In the fugitive. Yeah. it was a very yeah. obscure reference. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you... I only do obscure references. So, all right. If you listen to this podcast long enough, you kind of know that our repertoire of references is somewhat limited. Yeah, our pool of stuff. Yeah. Although we, we what, did... what we know, we know well. Yeah. Although we did manage to pull in, you know, like Ingmar Bergman and Ikaru and, and Scrooge McDuck, and yeah, we tried to pull yeah. in some art here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're pretty lowbrow here. No. <laughs> no, we're not as, not low as brow. lowbrow as we could get. No, yeah. but we're pretty popular. Yes, very. we're very pop culture Yeah, except we don't know Game of Thrones, so I don't know what <laughs> Okay, we're I very, real, very And I really unique. have no, I have no deep, des- I have no desire at all, actually, to see it anymore. But there's, that's me. 
You know, it's, there's actually very few trending shows that, you know, Lost is the one we keep talking about that used to be trending like five years ago. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm way out of I'm out of like what's cool now. But oh, well, yeah, we'll come back around someday. I, I still talk about Phineas and Ferb and I guess Gravity Falls is kind of the new big cartoon show, which I, I would like to watch. Well, that and Adventure Time. I know our listener Greg really likes Adventure Time. But I should. With cartoons, I'm very, very picky. I like I, I saw I saw I've seen an episode or two of Adventure Time, and it's kind of neat, but it's got an art style that's just weird. And <laughs> I should just pulled in some Twelve Years of the Slave since I saw it. It'd be all artsy with that too. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. there's no real death, just a lot of suffering. Yeah, yeah, lots of suffering. I really like the artist, the black and white Oscar, oh, yeah. Oscar winner from a few yeah, years we'll just, ago. We'll just start throwing in things that were like, <laughs> you know, once I watched five minutes of the uh, King's Speech. Is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this, like, the short from Romania. <laughs> it was filmed in black and white. I did I did try back when I was in film school. I talked about uh, Pickpocket by uh, Dressen. No, and the thing is, when I watch these things, I usually enjoy... I like talking about them, but I don't go out my way to see them normally, yeah. which is why I'm glad I have Brian. Yes. So, all right, well, we should probably end this up. So, Tim, where do we find our show? You can find us at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Please leave us a comment and let us know about some other really popular show that we should be watching that you're ashamed of us that uh, we ha- we are not. Breaking Bad. That was old now, too. But Yeah, I suppose so. It's over. Um, but we do actually want to watch that one. Yeah, we, we thought about it. We got that far. So. <laughs> um, but instead, we watched Sword Art Online. So that tells you our priorities. <laughs> <laughs> You can email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com. Find us on mixler.com slash, uh, or backslash derailedtrains of thought. That's, I think that's right. Yep. And subscribe to us on iTunes. iTunes is the best way to get a hold of us. I fixed the little sign thing, so we have pictures now. Yep. Looks cool. Looks cool. And that's it. Yep. I'm thinking again about putting episodes up on YouTube, just because I, I know the platform pretty well now. So I think we should. I think that... Why not? So somewhere can't, down, can't hurt. Somewhere in the near future, we'll probably do that. And you never know; it might bring in new, uh, new, uh, new traffic. New traffic. Yeah. You are only traffic to us. You're oh. not people. <laughs> we love you, all. Whoever you are, traffic people. <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. So Tim, let's uh, before we sign out. How about you introduce our uh, last soundtrack? Okay. So in keeping with tradition, Nick had a Final Fantasy... In our niche interest. <laughs> Very niche. Nick had a Final Fantasy VII. I have a Final Fantasy VI song. Um, but very appropriate, it's called Death on the Snowfield. Uh, it's a remix of the quintessential Final Fantasy VI song, Terra. Uh, this one is remixed by Am I Evil? Who does a lot of good stuff. Um, yeah. Despite possibly being evil, <laughs> he apparently doesn't know. Yeah. Um, I, but I'm sure Mandos knows. Man. And I think Mandos... It's ready to come around and say that we're, we do not belong here. Yes. So we'll probably be kicked all the way back to Middle Earth here pretty yeah. soon. All right. So. Well, it, hey, it's better than other places we go. This, this is very Hopefully true. we just land somewhere in the Shire. Yeah. That, I'd be okay with that. Anywhere else is kind of dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Like all wilderness in the Shire. So... <laughs> All right, so hopefully, we, folks, we'll yep. see you next time. Uh, yep. Uh, adios. This has been Tim. This has been Nick. Bye-bye. That's all we got.
Thank you.